today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, but we're going to step back into chapter 9. Last week we looked at how Paul's heart was broken over the Jewish situation. Uh, They had rejected Christ. And in Romans chapter 9, verse 27, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 22. And he said, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. In other words, out of all the millions of Jews that have been born down through the many centuries, only a few were really actually saved. And here's the reason why. Romans 9 verse 32. Because they sought it not by faith. But as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Faith has always been the key to salvation, not works. But Israel made salvation out of the law. And God never intended for the law to be salvation. The law does not save you. All the law did was point out man's sinful condition and to show man just how bad off that uh, he really was and that man needed a Savior. And that's what the sacrificial system was all about. Along with the law, God gave the Old Testament sacrificial system. They pointed to the Redeemer who was to come, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where their faith was to be, not in keeping the law, but their faith was to be in the Redeemer who was to come. And out of all the people on the face of the earth, Israel should have known this. They were given the law, they were given the covenants, they were sent prophet after prophet, and they should have known. But Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Israel had plenty of evidence. They could have traced Jesus' lineage back to David and found that everything lined up perfectly with the Word of God. Perhaps some did. Many didn't. On top of that, Jesus told them plainly that he was the Messiah. And he backed it up with one miracle after the other. 
No one had ever raised the dead other than one or two of the prophets in the Old Testament. But Jesus standing there that day at the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus coming out of that tomb, having been dead four days, and then coming out of that tomb, that right there was enough to turn many Jews to Christ, but then again you had some who went off in a back room after that, and they counseled together on how they could kill the Lord Jesus Christ. They had plenty of miracles. Nicodemus, uh, a Pharisee and one of the rulers of the Jews, came up to Christ one night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, comes from God, and no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. And so the evidence was there. They knew there was something different about Jesus Christ. But in spite of all that evidence, Israel would not submit themselves to Jesus Christ. They would not accept him as their Messiah. The very idea of this peasant, this carpenter, being the Messiah, that was not in their thinking at all. Instead, they went about to establish their own righteousness, Paul said. And it's the same problem that the church has today, when you get right down to it. It's faith in works and not in the finished work of Christ. I look at this stuff on television. It's do this, do that, do the other, fast so many days, uh, 12-step programs, 40 days of purpose. The list goes on and on and on. And, and all of that is going about to establish their own righteousness. And Paul is warning us here. If the church goes the exact same way that Israel did, going about to establish our own righteousness and refuse to submit ourselves to the finished work of Christ, we're going to be judged exactly as Israel was. Israel was cut off, and the church is going to be cut off as well. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. As a Christian... There are certain things that you will do. You will read your Bible. You will come to church. You will fast. You will do these things. But understand, you do these things because you are saved. You don't do these things uh, to get saved. These things have to be put in their, uh, their proper place. There is no righteousness outside of Christ. There is none. You can fast till they can pull you through a keyhole, and that will not give you any righteousness. You can read the Word of God once a month, and it'll bless you greatly, but that is not going to deal with the sin problem in your life. Our faith has to be in Christ and what He did at the cross, and that exclusively for salvation as well as sanctification, which is our everyday living for God. And I've quoted it many times. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself. Take up the cross daily and follow Him. And that's how you live for God. The cross is the place where the transfer was made. 
at the cross, Jesus took our sins and nailed it to his cross. And it was there at the cross that righteousness was put into our account. And without righteousness, the Bible says, no man shall see God. Paul said in Romans 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You know, the Lord lived a perfect life. He never sinned one time in word, thought, or deed. He kept the law of God perfectly. He fulfilled it. He satisfied the law of God. He even went a step further by satisfying the demands of the broken law, which was death. And Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to satisfy that, that broken law. And his resurrection is proof that what he did satisfied the broken law. Romans 10 verse 5. Let's look at that. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. There is righteousness for all who keep the law. If you can keep the law, then you're righteous. The problem is, 1,600 years proved that no man was able to keep the law of God. The only one, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the only one that was able to do it. Uh, Romans 10, verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? Paul is just simply saying here that we don't have to be a superman. We don't have to go up into heaven and bring Christ down to the earth. We don't have to be a superman and go down into the deep and bring Christ back from the dead. All that's already been done. Christ has already been born into the world. The incarnation, born of the Virgin Mary. He died on Calvary's cross. He raised from the dead the third day. All those things have been done. Nothing is required of us other than to just simply believe what Christ has already done. Verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Uh, let's take this verse phrase by phrase and go through it. First of all, Paul asked a single most important question as it pertains to salvation. He said, what saith it? And that question pertains to salvation. And he's going to go through now and explain this step by step. If you want to know how to get saved, if you want to know how to witness to someone, this right here is the steps that I'm going to give you. First of all, he said, the word is nigh thee. The word of God is the most proliferated word in all the world. And the word of God is simple to understand, it's not hard, it's not complicated. And everyone has access to it. So man is without excuse. And it can be summed up simply this way. 
Jesus died for all sinners and rose from the dead. Very simple. If you want to know what the Word of God is, what it means, Jesus died for all sinners and rose again from the dead. Very simple. And all God requires of us is simple faith. Now, how simple is that? There's nothing complicated about that at all. Paul said, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. Now, this doesn't mean that merely speaking some words or even the right kinds of words or phrases is going to save you. We got some people in the world that can't speak at all. So where does that leave them? If salvation was by speaking, then that would leave that group of people out. But the Bible leaves nobody out. So what does this mean? Even The word is even in thy mouth. It simply means that in some way we have to confess Christ before others. Some way confession has to be made. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart. All faith begins in the heart. The heart, I'm not talking about that organ that pumps blood throughout your body. I'm talking about the seed of the emotions, the thoughts and the feelings of man, the soul and the spirit of man. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Dana, if you will pull that up right quick. Matthew 12, 34, verses 35. Matthew twelve thirty four. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Look at that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. When a person gets saved and the Holy Ghost comes in them, that mouth is going to start speaking it. I'm sorry. God is just too big to try to hide it under a bushel. I mean, it's coming out. Something that big, you can't hide it. I mean, it's like a pregnant woman. Sooner or later, it's coming out. You're going to see it. <laughs> and when a person gets saved, buddy, you can't hide it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So with this, we know that salvation begins in the heart of the individual. All right, now let's take a look at another phrase, Romans chapter 10, verse 8 again. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith. Let's take a look at the word for a minute. There are two Greek words that are translated word. And those two words are logos and rhema, okay? Logos and Ramos. Uh, logos means the total thought or idea or person is expressed. While Rhema only expresses a part of that thought, idea, or person. When Paul wrote this, he used the word Rhema. And it simply means that one does not have to understand all there is to know about Christ's finished work. All they need is a tiny portion. Like I said, Jesus came into the world and died for all sinners and rose again from the third, on the third day. It's only a part of the plan of God. The rest, you don't have to understand it all. You just accept it by simple faith.
That's it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. And then Paul mentioned all faith. That is the word of faith. Simply means that the person has to believe in Christ in order to be saved. Paul went on to say, which we preach. The word of faith, which we preach. Paul preached Christ and him crucified for salvation as well as sanctification. And that's what we should be preaching today as well. Amen? All right, verse 9, Romans 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Anyone can be saved when, number one, they hear the gospel. That's why Paul preached it like he did. Number two, they agree with it and they believe it in their heart. Number three, they confess that Jesus is the Savior. As well, they confess that He is Lord. In other words, He is God. He is the God over their life. They confess that with their mouth and then they believe that God raised Him from the dead. How simple is that? Anybody in this room could sit down with a lost person and share the gospel of Christ. You don't have to understand the incarnation. You don't have to go all the way back to Abraham. Just simple, Christ came into the world and died for everybody and rose again the third day. Do you believe that? And some people may need a little help when you pray with them in whatever the case. And, and this, wor this verse right here, Romans 10 verse 9, I use this a lot of time in the sinner's prayer. And, I, you know, and I'll just go through, Lord, right now I confess you with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. All right, let's take a look at verse 10, Romans 10 verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, salvation means to be delivered. That's what salvation means, to be delivered. Delivered from what? What do we need to be delivered from? We need to be delivered from the penalty of sin, which is death. We need to be delivered from sin itself, which is the sin nature that we're all born with. And that sin nature gets a grip on our lives and leads to other things. But we need to be delivered from the sin penalty. We need to be delivered from that sin nature. And that takes place the moment we accept Christ as our Savior. Simple faith in Christ and what he did delivers us from death. That means delivered from the lake of fire, eternal separation from God. We're delivered from that, and we're also delivered from that sin nature. As well, the moment we accept Christ as our Savior, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. In other words, when God looks at you, and he sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, 
He does not see you as a law breaker. He sees you as a law keeper. And it's not because of anything that you've done or not done. It's all because of where your faith is at. All right, verse 11, Romans 10, verse 11. For the Scripture saith. Now, Paul is going to combine Isaiah 28, 16 and Isaiah 49, 23. And he says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The word whosoever opens up the door for anybody whether it be a Jew or a Gentile, whether it be a white, black, Mexican, Japanese, Chinese, makes no difference, whosoever. It also does away with the idea of predestination, that God predestined some people to be saved and he predestined others to go to hell and there's nothing they can do about it. This Bible says, whosoever, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, the phrase here that says, shall not be ashamed, it means that uh, a person who places their faith in Christ's finished work shall not be defeated. You'll not be defeated. All right, verse 12. There is no difference between the Jew or the Greek. That's what I just said. In the sight of God, we're all sinners. He doesn't see a white man or black man or Hispanic. He sees a sinner that needs salvation. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now this verse right here tells us several things. First of all, there is one Savior, one Redeemer for mankind, emphasized by the title Lord. In other words, Jesus Christ is God. Number two, He is Lord over all. Jesus Christ is God. He is the creator of everything. And man will answer to Him. You can either answer to Him now as your Savior, and He will give you eternal life, or you will answer to Him one day at the great white throne judgment, and He will be your judge. And you'll be cast into the lake of fire. But answer to him we shall, because he is God. He is Lord. Number three, anyone is free to call upon him for salvation at any time. And everybody is encouraged to do so. Plus, him being God, he can meet any need. He can answer any prayer, and he can do whatever needs to be done. He has unlimited resources. He is rich beyond our wildest dreams, and if he ain't got it, he can speak it into existence. That's our God, and he wants to do good things for us. Number four, not only will he hear but he'll also be rich toward those who turn to him. Like I said, we serve a God of unlimited resources. He desires to share those resources with us freely and liberally. And I've said it many times, if God could catch some of you, he'd bless you. A lot of people run from God because they think he's up there with a big whip ready to pop them over the head. And maybe that's what they deserve.
But if they'll just turn to the Lord, He's got blessings that will just blow your mind. All right, let's take a look at verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This right here presents the greatest blessing that a person will ever receive from God. That is the gift of salvation. And it's not just for a select few. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the church. It's not just for America. It's for everybody. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's for the entirety of the human race. There's only one qualification. There's only one qualification to be saved. You have to be a sinner. You furnish the sinner, and he'll furnish the Savior. Today has been a blessing to you. We hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you. Music